How can businesses protect themselves from sudden inconvenient closures? So for a quite small additional premium, any SME can obtain something which we call the inconvenience relief benefit. We pay you a daily cash allowance for any day your business is interrupted due to COVID-19 closure. That was Horst Habig, Chief Sales Officer of Allianz General Insurance Malaysia. Look up the full podcast under Race to Recovery on BFM.my. Allianz Malaysia, empowering businesses to build confidence in tomorrow. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Enterprise BizBytes, presented by Allianz Malaysia. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm in the studio with... Christine Wong. We're going to be with you for about an hour today. Uh, we have a couple of guests coming up on the show a little bit later on because we are talking about the psychology of workaholism. Before we get to that, though, you can get in touch with the show if you want to talk to us a little bit uh, via WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. And, of course, get us over on Twitter. We are at BFM Radio. Chris. Yeah, so we're in the middle of a great undoing for productivity and hustle culture. From slow productivity to the anti-work movement, workers across all sectors and industries are scrambling to find a solution to their frustrations. And generally speaking, I feel like we've been all hungering down a lot more when it comes to work, especially in light of the pandemic with 24-7 communication lines and Mm. pressure to perform enough, to earn enough trust for remote or hybrid working privileges. Maybe we've all skewed further towards workaholism than we'd like, but does that actually work? Well, uh, Melissa Clark, the Associate Professor of Industrial and Organizational Psychology at the University of Georgia in the US, uh, specializes in studying workaholics. That must be an interesting job. Uh, She said that amongst people she's interviewed for her research, there's one red flag that she consistently sees, busyness for the sake of being busy. Here's a quote. There's a strong dispositional component to workaholism. That idea of being constantly productive and busy, of doing something for the sake of accomplishing it rather than just being. She delivers another blow. Quote, workaholism does not lead to more productivity or higher work performance. Who'd have thunk it? Who'd have thunk it? So how do you actually move away from being a workaholic without just, you know, resorting to straight up quitting your job, right? Uh, Madeline Dort, the author of I Didn't Do The Thing Today, which is a book exploring how to let go of the guilt and anxiety of a never-ending to-do list, says that it's not the notion of productivity that's the problem, it's the culture surrounding it. Mm. She said that it's using productivity as a measure of our validity that makes us miserable. There's no such thing as productive enough when it comes to our worth. So her advice is to approach the challenge with uh, gentle inquisitiveness. So if productivity narrows our days, curiosity can expand it again. If we're curious about why we're feeling guilty, it might not fix it, but it can deepen our understanding of what's going on in ourselves. So in a way, uh, workaholism becomes an issue of quality over quantity. Mm. Um, But doing less just for the sake of doing less seems like the other half of the business coin. Most likely in reality, there's some part of the workaholic that may be using work as a kind of emotional crutch. So if you're working towards doing less, you're forced to pick what you do more carefully. And maybe in making those sacrifices, you can discover where your true priorities are. 
Yeah, so frustratingly enough, it sounds like working out how to not work so much is going to take a lot of work. <laughs> and it definitely won't be a quick fix. So what do the experts have to say on this? Uh, we will be speaking after the break to Eugene T, Associate Professor at the Department of Psychology at Help University, and Sasha Kanapati, COO of Leaderonomics Digital, after the break for their takes on this whole concept of workaholism. There you go. And if you've got some uh, take on this concept as well, do let us know via WhatsApp, 01878. Get us on Twitter at BFM Radio. Short break with some music here with uh, the Jackson 5 and I Want You Back. And we will be back with those experts in just a few minutes here on Enterprise Biz Bites, BFM 89.9. Stay tuned to Enterprise Biz Bites, presented by Allianz Malaysia. Bright, formidable media. BFM 89.9, the business station. Enterprise Biz Bites, presented by Allianz Malaysia. Welcome back to Enterprise Biz Bites. I'm Rich Bradbury. I'm in the studio with... Christine Wong. What are we talking about today, Chris? We're talking about the psychology of workaholism. Yes, we are indeed. And if you want to get in touch with us about that, do you consider yourself a workaholic? Do you know somebody who's a workaholic? Let us know via WhatsApp, 018-789-8899. Uh, Twitter, at BFM Radio. Chris, do you consider yourself a bit of a workaholic? Depends. <laughs> Depends on the subject. Right. Yes. Sometimes I, 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 uh, I think uh, you all know, I, I get a little bit perfectionist about mm-hmm, some things and mm-hmm. then uh, other things, uh, not so much. I can be. Yeah, uh, that's what I mean. I have the, I have the capacity of a workaholic. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those times when, when if you're given a particular project mm-hmm. and you start working on it and you really start to get your teeth into it, no matter what kind of distractions may come my way, I am personally persevering through. I'm going to finish it, whether it's 3, 4, 5 a.m. in the morning, and I'm giving myself three hours. I'm trying to be better. Yeah. Anyway, uh, (laughs) enough about us. Let's hear from some experts about this topic, because it's a big topic. We've got a lot to get through, and Mm. we should probably crack on. Chris? Yes. So on the line today to help us with this conversation are Eugene T., Associate Professor at the Department of Psychology at Help University, and Sasha Kanapati, COO of Leaderonomics Digital. Thank you guys both so much for being on the line with us today. Now, first question is, by your standards, how would you properly define a workaholic? Uh, Let's start with uh, Sasha, and then we'll go to Eugene. Well, I'm not sure I agree with the word workaholic. I think, you know, workaholic, it implies something of an addiction and things like that. And is there really a definite measure, right? So if someone works 60 hours versus somebody else works 70 hours, the person who works 60 might be a workaholic versus the person who's 70 might not, right? And we have different um, types of jobs. You know, a startup founder who works 80 hours a week may not necessarily be a workaholic. And we also tell people, you know, work where your passion is and wouldn't you want to spend more time in what you're passionate about? So what is the right amount of time in something that you're passionate about versus something you're not passionate about. So I think these are all very um, superficial measures when you talk about workaholic. Um, So let's just talk about workaholic as being someone who feels that the amount of work that they put in is not something that is aligned with how they would like to prioritize their life. So you want to talk about work-life prioritization. And if that... Um, prioritization has skewed too far one way for you and it's very individualistic, it's very personal, then I believe then you can consider yourself a workaholic. But even on top of that, right, um, I think it also goes down to why you're working that hard. If you're choosing to work that hard, 
and it's something that you've intentionally decided. I don't think I would call you a workaholic. Um, but if you feel forced to and you feel that you're doing it just out of automated response, you know, behavioral conditioning, then perhaps you are a workaholic. So when I think of the term workaholic, for me at least, that, that conjures up um, an image of the, the ever-working, forever busy, and professionally occupied individuals slaving away in their work, the point of encroaching onto um, other aspects of their lives. Workaholism has been studied um, in, in the psychological sciences. So I'll provide a definition from my reading of the literature. Workaholism is a behavioral compulsion that comprises uh, a few components. So first, workaholism uh, has a motivational component. So it's that inner pressure. And I think keyword here again, the compulsion to work. Uh, secondly, there is a cognitive component, so uncontrollable thoughts about work. It's almost as if you're thinking about work most um, most of the time. A third, and I think this is an important one, an emotional component, usually, usually unpleasant feelings such as guilt uh, that is associated when one is not working. So I think this this third component um, is, is important in distinguishing workaholics from, say, engaged employees. Uh, engaged employees have... Uh, what we'll call a, a healthier balance between between work and non-work and are less likely to feel guilty or anxious for, for not working. And fourth, finally, a behavioral component. And that's when one finds themselves working above and beyond what is expected of them. So I'd summarize all this by saying that workaholics work because they have to engage workers work because they want to. And some recent work um, in, in the study of workaholism also shows that it generally has a negative influence on work performance and well-being. And uh, this is actually contrary to what's been proposed by some as there being a, a healthy degree of workaholism. So what do you think drives people towards workaholism? A lot of things drive people towards workaholism, and it's usually external factors. Like I said earlier, if you choose to spend a certain amount of time at work because it's something that you enjoy or it's something that you want to do, something that you're prioritizing, then it's not. But if it's something that has been forced upon you or you're doing it unconsciously and it's kind of um, societal pressures or peer pressure or FOMO or, um, you know, this this subconscious expectation that you feel from your bosses, from your work, from your culture, from your family, then that's what drives you to workaholism. I think it's that feeling that you're not in control and yet you still continue to do what you feel you must do. So this is another area of study by itself. And at the individual level, we see consistent links between a certain personality traits, a maladaptive perfectionism. So perfectionists out there listening to this, you're likely uh, to, to find yourself being workaholics as well. Another personality difference is uh, what we call type A personality. So it's a personality cluster or facet uh, typified by elevated levels of ambition, proactivity, but uh, also high levels of of, of impatience and anxiety. There are also some moderate connections between personal dimensions um, that you might be familiar with, the big five, uh, with workaholism. So no surprises if you're higher on conscientiousness, that's the degree to which you're directed, organized, goal-focused. Uh, that's also positively associated with workaholism. Uh, extroversion is another correlate of workaholism. Uh, both have been shown to be significant, but not that strong of an effect, moderate, I would say, uh, at, at best. Um, but workaholism is not just due to individual factors. Um, I'm, 
recalling here a study conducted by, by researchers in the Netherlands, and they've examined something called overwork culture. So this is a work culture in which working beyond contracted hours, uh, bringing work home, working through weekends and holidays are uh, a necessity for career advancement. So the study reports that workaholism can be in a way normalized in cultures that are as such, or those that are highly competitive, you know, the winner takes all, very task oriented, and those generally uh, characterized by a shared fear of failure amongst employees. Um, it almost seems related to what we refer to as a hustle culture in more recent times. Interesting that you bring up uh, hustle culture, actually, Eugene, uh, because the next question is, is there a distinction between hustle culture and workaholism? Uh, Eugene, uh, you can go first here. So the scientific literature generally defines workaholism as an individual level factor. So it's the individual's compulsion to work, uh, going above, uh, above and beyond what is needed, thinking about work all the time, but critically not enjoying it. So I'd say hustle culture is more of a context level factor, a set of expectations within an organization or an environment that implicitly, I would think, shapes impressions of how much one should work, uh, how much one should prioritize work over all other uh, of uh, one's life concerns. So often stated, I've noticed in, in commentaries about hustle culture is that it's a tacit, implied, unspoken agreement uh, between the worker and the organization that, well, the more you work, the more you produce, the greater your output equals the greater your chances of career success. So admittedly, I don't know of um, any peer-reviewed studies that have yet examined. It's a fairly new uh, concept. Um, none so far to the best of my knowledge have examined links between hustle culture and, and workaholism. But I do suspect that such expectations about work and the overwork climate can be themselves uh, the cause of workaholic tendencies. Yes, there is a difference between culture and workaholism. I believe hustle culture is something that's more about trying to get ahead and doing whatever it takes to get ahead. And typically we're talking about financial reasons to get ahead, right? Versus workaholism is something individual, it's personal. Um, and it could be as a result of hustle culture. Like I said, if it's because of those external factors, there's societal pressure and you become a workaholic, then yeah, that they're definitely linked. But otherwise, I mean, if you are spending time at work, um, there's situations where others call you workaholic, but you don't feel that, right? You feel that you're putting in the time according to what you've chosen to put in the time to achieve your goals. And your goals can be financial, can be happiness, can be stability, can be passion. Um, so it may not be related to hustle culture. Okay. Um, just before we, we go to a break then, um, uh, does being a quote-unquote workaholic uh, in your opinions, uh, actually lead to more productivity or a higher output. Uh, why or, or why not? I think Sasha can go first here. Definitely not. Being a workaholic definitely does not automatically lead to more productivity. Um, so I think we've got to definitely distinguish between the amount of time you spent at work and the amount of output you produce at work. Right? You can be a very productive person and work a lot less hours. And a lot of times there's science that shows that, you know, sometimes working less hours and allowing your brain to rest, recuperate, build up creative energy can actually make you more productive. So I think people have this uh, misconception or self-expectation of themselves that if they just put in more hours, that they will do better. But actually it's about how you put in the hours. I can practice something over and over again, but if I'm practicing something wrong, 
it's still going to be wrong. So it's about what I'm practicing, how I'm practicing. So it's about quality, not quantity. So definitely wouldn't say there's a linkage between workaholic and productivity. Well, here, I think we'd almost be arguing semantics, but you know how pedantic um, researchers, academics can be about their definitions. Um, you're, you're right in saying that. Or you might even say to yourself, well, so what if I'm a workaholic? I'm good at what I do uh, and I'm rewarded and acknowledged for it. I think it's one of the positive qualities I bring to work. Well, if so, um, you might actually be more of an engaged worker than a workaholic, strictly speaking, yeah, scientifically speaking. And um, to, to further confound matters, maybe just um, give you food for thought, I suppose, food for thought. Uh, one study even finds that you could be, get this, an engaged workaholic. And it was engaged workaholics, at least from the study, that while they, they work the longest hours, they still reported a high level of engagement. So instead of burning out, they were still pretty much on the ball when it came to work. Um, so it seems that being engaged protected people against the effects of stress and, and burnout. So the story so far is that if, if we were to define and measure workaholics as clearly those who feel compelled to work, keep thinking about work, work beyond what is required to a point where it affects other aspects of their lives, then yes, this group will most likely report high levels of burnout and lowered engagement. Uh, and but, but, and it's an important but, right? Not better productivity. So, um, if, so if you say that you work long hours, but enjoy the work, then I say, well, if it doesn't impinge negatively on encroach, you know, negatively on other aspects of your life, then you could very well be uh, what we will call, quote unquote, an engaged workaholic. Well, there you go. Um, time for us to take a short break here, folks. Uh, stay on the line, guys, please. Of course, we're on the line uh, with uh, Eugene T. He's the Associate Professor at the Department of Psychology over at Help University and Sashi Ganapati, the COO of uh, Leaderonomics Digital. Don't go anywhere. We've got some music coming up from Cooler Shaker with Hush. When we come back, we'll be talking a little bit about the effects of the pandemic on the way in which people work, whether they are more productive or not, and a few other things. Uh, if you want to get in touch, 018 Seven eight nine double eight double nine. This is Enterprise BizBytes, BFM eighty nine point nine. Stay tuned to Enterprise BizBytes, presented by Allianz Malaysia. Break from monotony, BFM eighty nine point nine. Enterprise BizBytes, presented by Allianz Malaysia. Welcome back to Enterprise Best Bites. I'm Rich Bradbury and I'm in the studio with... Christine Wong. We're talking about this idea of workaholism. Uh, we've got a couple of guys on the phone with us, but we're in the middle of a great undoing for productivity and hustle culture from slow productivity to the anti-work movement. Workers across all sectors and industries are scrambling to find a solution to their frustrations. We've been looking at what makes a quote-unquote workaholic, whether or not it actually contributes to output and the psychology behind this phenomenon. Uh, the We've got on the line with us Eugene T. He's the Associate Professor at the Department of Psychology at Help University and Sashi Ganapati, the COO of Leaderonomics Digital. Christine. Yes. So, uh, guys, how do you think the pandemic has affected this pressure to always look and be busy or productive? Um, Sasha? I think the pandemic has affected the you know, the need to look busy and productive in some companies, especially where managers feel disconnected from their employees and feel like that they need to know what's happening or just need to be assured that the employees are working. 
then they instill processes or the way they ask questions. I think that employees also feel the need to show their work and spend time at work and be always on. And so then that has lead to more, you know, workaholic tendencies. Like I said, there's this unspoken expectation. But in other companies where they measure productivity, not by the amount of time you spend or, you know, how present you are at all minutes of the day, then maybe there's less connection because then employees feel that, you know, as long as they're delivering on work and delivering good quality productivity, then they don't have to feel that they're always on. But at the same time, you know, the, 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 the border between work and life has blurred in the pandemic as we all work from home. And so that could lead them to some seepage, right? Always on. So because previously when we came back from the office to home, we had this kind of transition in the mind, your mindset transitioned to home life and you didn't feel like you had to be thinking about work all the time. Versus now we don't have that psychological transition. So we may continue to think about work all the time while we're home. And that may lead you to then wanting to do more work or be at work or respond to work and can lead to workaholic tendencies as well. So yeah, absolutely. I think the, the pandemic has had an effect on the way we work and the expectations of work. Uh, though, though I think this might have something to do with our culture as well. In this case, the broader Asian, um, Asian rather region, uh, that, that one needs to be seen to be working in order to show that they are uh, productive. Um, I, I also think that that's the expectation that, and really at this point, I would say big no thank you to, to unrealistic expectations, productivity porn, however you want to call it that. You know, the expectation should be that one should be working all the time. Uh, this is a time to improve and grow yourself. Yes, the world may be fighting a pandemic, uh, but but here's your chance to make sure you get that novel published, right? <laughs> I, I think we grossly underestimate the extent to which we have the the emotional reserves or the capacities uh, to grow ourselves after being confronted with, you know, this is ongoing, prolonged existential threat. Uh, and, and the threat, I think, extends not just to to ourselves, but also to our loved ones and has has done so for the past two years. So what do you think might be um, some of the solutions here from an employee's perspective? How can um, individuals begin to address their own uh, workaholism? Uh, Eugene, let's hear from you first. I suspect, and maybe you were expecting that some part of the answer to this uh, might involve a, a rather banal reference to something akin to work-life balance. I'll spare you the reference that um, I'm a little bit sick of it uh, and, and state that really awareness, recognition of why you work could make for a better starting point for reflections for your, for your work habits or tendencies. You might start by considering whether you meet the characteristics of a typical workaholic. Do you find yourself compelled to work? Do you find that you need to be working all the time? Do you enjoy the work that you do? Is it more of a, the push of positive emotions or the pull of negative ones that, that prompts you to say, open your inbox on weekends? Do you think about work when you're not working? And does work negatively affect all other aspects of your life? So basically, you can draw a distinction between your work and non-work yourself. Could you do that? I, I found it personally useful to ask myself a simple question who are you when you're not working? Of course, I get it. Our professional identities form a major important part of, of who we are. Um, but I think recognizing the other side of us, uh, outside of, of, of your office, outside of your workplace, can get you to think a little bit more about your professional 
um, not just your professional rather, but your personal identities and qualities more. And like I mentioned earlier, consider as well, if it's something to do with a work culture uh, that's promoting a, say, a workaholic ideal that overwork uh, in a certain climate is valued, it is the norm, or you get a general sense that you are a member or part of a hustle culture. Both can definitely shape your attitudes to your work to a point of, say, tipping it over, right? And, and it becomes more workaholic than it does become, say, engagement or healthy balance between work and non-work. So your answers to these questions might prompt you to consider your own work habits, whether actually it's the work environment that's going to be um, affecting your, your work tendencies. And of course, by extension, whether it's being conducive to your well-being. I think you need boundaries set for yourself. And I don't think you need to listen to societal expectations of what's the right amount of work or not. And you should not compare yourself to others. What is important is you intentionally choose. At the situation of life you're in, for the role that you have in the company, for the expectations that your company has with you, you need to balance all that out and figure out what is your priority and how much work or effort are you willing to put in where it's not going to compromise your mental health. It's not going to compromise your life that you want to lead. And it's a nice, fine balance, right? Obviously, if you work too little and you don't perform, then you know it might affect your life as well. So we need to balance all these things out. We need to prioritize. And it can change week on week. Don't feel that you have to kind of set this rule, I'm only going to work 40 hours and I'm only going to work 40 hours every week. It's okay to some weeks say, okay, this week I'm going to put in a little bit more. Other weeks I'm going to put in a little less because of differing needs at work, but also differing needs at life because there might be some things going on at home that need more of your attention. So choose, prioritize. And the point is be intentional. The more intentional you are, the more choices and decisions you make over your own time, the more control you will feel you have. And the more control you feel you have, the less of a victim you are and the less of that workaholic you know, uh, negativity you will feel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask a, a, a bit of a weirder question, I guess, here. Uh, is having a team of workaholics, <laughs> uh, you know, ha- having employees who are workaholics, is that a good thing or a bad thing for employers? And, uh, and how can employers address this uh, issue? Um, uh, Sasha, any thoughts? Having a team of workaholics is, is kind of a strange question because if... I think they're workaholic, it doesn't mean anything, right? As a manager, if I think you're a workaholic, it doesn't mean anything. It's about how you feel about your work-life prioritization. If you feel that there's no balance between how much you spend at work and how much you spend at life, then it's a problem, right? Um, If you yourself feel that you're a workaholic, um, but you're okay with it, and it's something that you choose to do, then there's no problems, right? So what I'd like is to have a team who are well-balanced, they care for their mental health and they care for their work and they're all balanced and they choose how much of that balance they want to have. That's what's really good. But just having a whole bunch of people who work 60 hours a week, I don't think that's necessarily good, right? I don't think that's necessarily going to get us where we want to get us to. Maybe in certain types of jobs, maybe in certain types of industries, hours equals productivity. But in most jobs these days where, you know, we're doing a lot more creative work, a lot more collaborative work, more hours don't equal more productivity. Well, I think it is desirable um, to have productive and effective employees. So that's what most teams, employers, 
um, organizations want and know that both in the, um, the conversation that we're having uh, as well as the scientific evidence that, that I'm sharing here, that we can distinguish workaholism from work engagement. You can have productive, effective, efficient, proactive employees. So in this sense, engaged employees without the negative consequences that come from a team of workaholics. So really at the risk of sounding that we are again arguing semantics here, what I think employers want are engaged workers in a work culture that prides itself, however, in working overtime. I think the term workaholic has been redefined in some way as something or some, um, you know, a, a positive quality, so to speak. So if you're still unconvinced by this, though, however, I would suggest considering what numerous studies have shown that first, there's only really a moderate correlation between hours worked and productivity. And second, and perhaps more importantly, our studies of studies, uh, we're talking uh, meta-analytic evidence here that shows that workaholism is not associated with enhanced work performance. In fact, rather, what we are finding is that these workaholics tend to burn out more, experience lower well-being in the long run than engaged employees. So I could suggest crafting, designing jobs, tweaking the environment, the work climate to encourage greater autonomy, teamwork support. But I think I want to go back maybe to the first assumption that we're making that working longer hours means working better, being more productive. So I think it's that assumption that needs to be challenged. I've got one last question for you. Um, and it's to do with you know remote and hybrid working. And, and to what extent would remote and, and hybrid working contribute to or, or maybe even help solve uh, that issue of, of people who who might consider themselves uh, a workaholic or you know a workaholism in general. Uh, Sashi, let's hear from you first. I believe you know remote hybrid working will continue to add pressures to individuals' work life prioritization and balance, and it's something that we have to be mindful of. We need to help everyone with it. Um, to have these conversations, to ask everyone, you know, every week have a conversation, every month have a conversation about it and, and see where everyone stands on a spectrum. And it's not one size fits all. What works for one individual will not work for another. But remote hybrid work is a norm now, right? It's going to be a norm for quite a while. So let's accept it. Let's embrace it. Let's figure out how to build in practices, habits, rituals into our daily life that helps us manage that situation. And I think that's what's key, to be intentional, to manage it, and then you'll find balance. And when you find balance, it'll become uh, a good way to work instead of something that you're forced to do. I agree. I think it's it's hard to talk about remote and hybrid work without reference to the technology that enables it. So pretty much any technological tool that you use for work brings with it you know, pros and cons, merits and demerits. It depends on how it's used. So even the use of communication platforms like um, or productivity software, like, like Slack, for instance, it's pitched as a software to enhance collaboration and connections within the organization. Even that's been criticized for, for chaining employees to work. So as if email wasn't enough, you now get messages sent to you as you work um, life. Right? So, and, and I recall having chats um, with your team prior on, what was it, doom scrolling, constant scrolling of news feeds, fixated on the negatives, Zoom fatigue, and really based on my experiences, which, well, some of you may or may not share, I have actually found that the implementation of such, such technologies for hybrid remote work have actually increased expectations 
for being f- physically present to and attending to work. You need to be seen to be working all the time now that you're out of sight, right? We need some assurances that you're still working. So I think it's uh, it, it's helpful to see some of these platforms like um, like what Microsoft Viva does remind you of unfinished tasks, but also they, they provide suggestions for quiet days that you, you could spend on uh, focused work, for instance. Um, I like how the platform also offers alternative times to send that email, kind of like a gentle reminder, you know, think about sending that email, not on a Sunday, but maybe on a Monday. Um, recommendations as well for you to safeguard <laughs> that precious hour at lunch. So such platforms, I, I like to see that as a positive change, a shift, right? That, that helps users balance out productivity and well-being concerns while working remotely. But that's it, that's it. I think the scientific jury is still out on the efficacy, the effectiveness of these apps, and um, even the best model, so to speak, for remote and hybrid work, you know, allowing employees to balance productivity with well-being. So I suppose a pragmatic answer um, might be to consider how best to, to incorporate the use of such tools to fit the organization's work, nature of its industry, nature of its work, company's culture. And I'll wrap up by just saying that any decision made with regard to these questions should balance autonomy with accountability and for engagement, employee engagement to be considered alongside ways to healthily detach from work. Really interesting stuff. Uh, Thanks for that, guys. Uh, Folks, that was Eugene T., the Associate Professor at the Department of Psychology at HELP University, and Sashi Ganapati, the COO of Leaderonomics Digital. We have been discussing the idea of uh, workaholism, you know, the psychology of it, as we are in the middle of a great undoing for productivity and hustle culture. So that's what we've been talking about. Uh, It's pretty much time for us to wrap up for the day, though. But if you did miss any part of this show, don't forget you can download the podcast. It's available wherever you normally listen to it from. We recommend the BFM app. That's available from the Apple App Store or Google Play. But don't go anywhere. There's more stuff coming up, of course, after the one o'clock news. Chris, did you learn anything today? Uh, I learned that I think I need to take more breaks. <laughs> Honestly, I, I feel, I feel uh, you know, uh, uh, basically uh, taking a moment to ask yourself that question of why am I working as much as I'm working now? Mm-hmm. Is it because I genuinely enjoy it or is it because I feel pressure? Like having that introspection, I think, is something that I probably need to do. Mm-hmm. I think I need to learn how to not check my emails on a weekend. You well. really do. Yeah. I'm going to call you out on air right now. That's, you definitely do. I do that a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, on behalf of myself and Christine, this has been Enterprise Biz Bites. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow at noon here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Enterprise Biz Bites was presented by Allianz Malaysia, empowering businesses to build confidence in tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.